Welcome back to the MCU Exchange Podcast. We have a big show for you today. We're going to talk about Thor Ragnarok and Hulk's new bed. We're going to talk about the Thunderbolts. We're going to talk about the Inhumans, Guardians of the Galaxy, Jessica Jones, Thor of the Dark World. Yes, that's right. Thor of the Dark World. And a lot more. We've got a special guest to talk about Spider-Man and we're ready to get into it. This is the MCU Exchange Podcast. And Peter, remember, with great power comes great responsibility. All right, we've got a great show for you guys today. Uh, I've got Adam as usual, but Rhiannon cannot join us. And so we have a special guest uh, joining us for the first time on the podcast. We have Ryan Parker. Uh, Ryan, go ahead and say hello and introduce yourself to, to the folks. What's up, guys? Um, I'm Ryan. I've been writing with the MCU Exchange for, I guess, coming up on a year now. Um, so excited to be on the podcast first time. So. Now, what are your particular interests in the MCU? I know, but I'm sure our, our readers would love to know more. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, growing up, I've always been a huge Spider-Man fan. Um, so definitely, uh, that's that's my strong suit. I'm, I've read the most uh, as far as back issues going all the way up to the, to the beginning. So Spider-Man was always a big part. So when he joined the MCU, I went nuts. I don't think there was a, a second on screen in Civil War. Uh, that he was there, that I wasn't smiling and completely losing it. So um, definitely for Spider-Man. Um, and as far as MCU, I think probably my favorite would be Iron Man um, as a solo film. But uh, yeah, that's about it. You are also, um, in addition to knowing, I think, more about Spidey than anyone else, I think you also are the best at uh, understanding costuming because you're kind of a cosplayer yourself and you make your own cosplay stuff that looks really great. So I feel like you know the MCU costumes better than anybody else on the site. I do. Um, yeah, I, I've been I've been building props and costumes um, probably for about, I guess, for about four or five years. Um, I'm an entertainment media studies major uh, at the University of Georgia, so I'm hoping to kind of use that to do some... Uh, props and art direction for film but uh yeah I've, I've made a couple of different uh costumes I'm, I'm gearing up to go to dragon con in september i'm super excited about that but i'm working on my third version of the iron man mark six out of foam so that's been interesting but yeah i love that kind of stuff and uh, we've also got adam with us adam how is uh, summertime in iowa it is amazing after like two and a half three weeks of constant rain it's been gorgeous this week so I, I'm kind of the stage now where I'm debating turning the air on. You know, I'm, I want to, but then I get the electric bill and so on and so forth. So I'm probably going to, uh, I might take a break now and turn it on, actually. I just convinced <laughs> myself to do so. Oh, yeah, we've been, um, we've been running the AC because uh, my wife is actually pregnant right now. And so it's like, forget what it costs, turn that thing on, or else it's going to get really unhappy really quick. So, All right, let's go ahead and jump into our news. Uh, we actually had a couple of things hit today. Uh, just so you guys know, we are still recording on Thursday, but releasing on Sunday. Uh, excuse me, releasing on Monday. Uh, as you guys probably know, since you've downloaded this on Monday, uh, we have moved the release schedule the main reason we're doing that is because Inhumans and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to be coming out on Fridays. And so in the fall, it's just going to make sense to let that release, give you a couple days to watch the show, 
and then release the podcast on a Monday. It also means that I am going to be able to sleep a little bit on Thursday nights, which I'm very happy about. So this uh, is the first week that we're going to release on a Monday and is our plan to be just as faithful on releasing every Monday as we have been about every Friday for the last, uh, you know, six months or so. So we are switching those things up. So the news today is fresh for us. Uh, It'll be a couple days old by the time you guys hear it. Uh, The first thing is we found out today that Punisher is coming in November. Uh, The Hollywood Reporter was doing a conversation with one of the directors of Punisher, and the director mentioned that they had worked on that show and that it was going to release in November. That's hardly like an official announcement, but it is... Uh, sounds dependable to us. We were pretty much figuring that, uh, as we said last week, we're going to have Franksgiving anyways. So um, are you guys excited? Is this a good release date for you? Do you think you'll be able to uh, sneak it in uh, between uh, hanging out with the family the week of Thanksgiving? I think so. I think it's. I think it fits. Um, between all, I mean, like, the MCU is so expansive now. I mean, like, between the TV shows and the, and the movies and everything coming out, I think it's, I think it's a good spacing. I mean, it gives you, I mean, it's kind of button up against Thor Ragnarok, but really, you know, I assume that we'll hear shortly that it's going to be, you know, mid to late November, whereas Thor is going to be, you know, towards the beginning of the month. So I think that's a good spacing. I mean, with so many properties, you can only do so much, but I think that that's, I think it's, I think it's a decent timing for it. What do you think, Adam? Are you going to be watching Punisher with the family? Yeah, probably. I guess. Oh, we actually, we watch all the MCU stuff together, so yeah. Uh, You know, that's, I mean, now that Marvel's rolling out their new Runaways comic run, you know, that leads someone to believe that the Hulu show's coming right around that time as well. So, I mean, we're going to get a lot of stuff. I mean, this fall slash winter's going to be amazing for MCU fans. I mean, I'm not sure if you want to count the Defenders in fall since that's mid-August. Um, but I mean, we're getting Punisher, we're getting Thor. If we get Runaways, um, then of course Inhumans, Agents of Shield, and then after the first of the year, pretty close, we got to be getting New Warriors or, or sometime, you know, early part of 2018. So it's about yeah, to and get Cloak and Dagger too. Oh, and Cloak and Dagger, yeah. Now, so it's uh, it's gonna get busy. I like it. I should say Cloak. I would guess Cloak and Dagger comes before New Warriors. Um, but yeah, I mean, we should be getting all of that by what March or April of next year, one would think. Oh, for sure, because you you got to build up to Infinity War. I mean, pretty much all they got is going to be aimed at marketing that out. So yeah, just to clarify for our listeners, we don't know anything on Runaways. Uh, Adam and Jeremiah have been creating this awesome uh, system where they gauge the release of a television show based on the release of the comic in Marvel Comics that kind of goes along with it. Uh, if you've not noticed, we recently got a Defender series a couple months before Defenders came out. And so these guys are teasing out uh, roughly those those time gaps. And that makes them think that we're going to see a uh, 2017 release for Runaways. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that happens. Yes, it's pure speculation. It is pure speculation. I mean, Iron Fist, the new one, came out, I think, like right before um, this Ed... Brisson, Brisson run came out right before uh, the Netflix show. And then Defenders is coming out, uh, I think, a month and a half before. So, I mean, the time's variable, but um, I mean, the, the the route they're going, I wouldn't be surprised to see Cloak and Daggers and Cloak and Dagger, excuse me, and New Warriors both getting 
new runs. I mean, Jessica Jones got uh, a new run. Um, I wouldn't say it's out of the question. But that's getting away from the MCU. That's another point. Pure speculation on runaways. I'm crossing my fingers that it'll be probably that time-ish, yeah. kind of. We love speculation, though. Who are we kidding? Well, and to be fair, when it comes to like release schedules, as, as Rhiannon has often pointed out, it's not like Jeff Loeb exactly tells us these things ahead of time. And so all we can do is just speculate about what's going to happen. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. One of my favorites is to try to predict when a trailer will drop based on historically when the other trailers have dropped. Yes. I have like a whole spreadsheet to figure this stuff out. <laughs> All right, moving on to Inhumans news. Uh, I thought we were going to go a week without Inhumans, but uh, something has kind of dropped this afternoon. And uh, I'm going to tell a little story on this. Uh, I saw this on IMDb about a week ago. And I said to myself, uh, I don't know if that's reliable. And so I didn't do anything on it. And now I feel dumb because all the uh, sites are running this as real news. Um, IMDb has listed three new um, actors for Inhumans. Um, two of those are to play uh, King Agon and Queen Rinda, the parents of Black Bolt and Maximus the Mad. Uh, those actors are Michael Bowie who uh, has been on Grey's Anatomy, and Tanya Clark, who's been on Banshee. Uh, neither of those people is familiar to me. Uh, given their age, it almost certainly is going to have to be a flashback. Uh, there's no way that those two look old enough to be Anton Mount's uh, parents, so I'm guessing we'll see a little bit of history. Uh, and then the other one that's really exciting is Henry Ian Cusick, who was on Lost as Desmond Hume. Uh, he actually played Jesus once as well. He's currently on a show called The 100. He has been cast as a character called Dr. Evan Declan, which to my knowledge is going to be a completely um, new character. Um, so like I said, I was a little skeptical of this because I wondered if the, um, the Cusick casting was just a remnant of when everybody was trying to guess what lost character was going to show up on the show. But uh, they do have a role associated with him. So for now, we're going to trust that IMDb has got this right. They, it is weird. I don't know how IMDb gets their data, but sometimes it can be misleading or incorrect. Um, are you guys excited about these castings? Any of these actors stick out to you? Any of you guys Lost fans excited to see Desmond come on to Inhumans? Um, I, yeah, I watched Lost a little bit. I'm not as big a fan. I, I know you're pretty into Lost, or you were. Um. Plus, you're big into inhuman stuff, so yeah, I'm I'm very impartial at the moment. Any thoughts, Ryan? <laughs> Same. I actually, I uh, yeah, I actually didn't. I I got like halfway through the first season on spring break a couple of years ago, and I was like, nah, I'm not I'm not getting into this. So I I didn't actually watch a whole lot of Lost. Um, so kind of at the same spot, but uh, you know. I'm sure I'm sure they'll be great. Marvel seems to be doing pretty well with casting so far. I think what is interesting to me about this is that flashback idea. Uh, if they spend any time at all talking about Black Bolt and his parents, it probably means we're going to get the childhood story of Black, of Black Bolt and Maximus, which to me could be a fascinating emotional through line to that show. Um, I think the relationship between the two of them could be really compelling television particularly if those actors act it well. And I'm not going to ruin anything from the comics, but there is kind of a big plot twist in the history of, of Black Bolt and Maximus that makes kind of the way that they're brothers and they hate each other, but they also don't, they also love each other. Like 
Uh, there's something that happens that provides just a lot of depth to that relationship that I would love if the TV show goes that way. So uh, I'm pretty excited about this news generally, but, uh, and that's good because I've been super excited about a lot of uh, inhuman stuff. So I'm happy to be excited about this. Uh, next, we've got some Thor Ragnarok uh, images that are giving us a sense of what Thor Ragnarok is looking like. Um, we have seen a model of Sakaar, which is very colorful. It's kind of a scale model of what the exterior of kind of the uh, gladiator place is going to look like. Uh, it's really cool. I thought it looked a little bit like um, Jabba the Hutt's palace from Star Wars movies. Uh, then also we got an image of Hulk's bed, which is basically like a Tyrannosaurus Rex mouth with a bed put into it, which is just really cool. Uh, Ryan is a guy who works with, you know, props and costumes and stuff. Were you excited to see these images and what it's going to look, uh, what the movie's going to look like visually? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean the scale model, I mean, well, cause you can never really tell when I first saw the, the bed, I mean, obviously it's a, it's an impressive piece on display, um, in, in Australia right now at a, at a museum. So, um, but you can never really be sure given that Hulk is a CG character. So this may be a recreation of what we see on screen. But when I saw the the scale model, I mean, you don't see a lot of that anymore. So that 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 did excite me, um, particularly to see all the the kind of the color schemes and everything that they decided to choose. It looked kind of um, I agree. Like when I saw the the dome on the right hand side, well, it's not really a dome, but the the tower where you can see the the gladiator arena. I mean, I was like, yeah, that's Jabba's the Hutt's palace. But um, it kind of it reminded me of Jakku from Force Awakens as well. Yeah, it's got the, uh, it's definitely has Star Wars-y vibes to it, you know, the whole rusted metal yet colorful vibe thing. There's a lot of earth tones, but there's blues and greens and, and all that stuff. Again, it's it's hard to get the full effect once, because uh, it's a little model and stuff. Um, but man, that movie's gonna look good. It's just gonna look good. I mean, who knows what the story's gonna be, but it's gonna look good at least. And that's the thing too, because Sakar. Um, I mean, when I think of that, I you, they you didn't really get to see the planet showcase as much in the in the animated version. Anyways, what I'm I'm basing that off of you. So you didn't really get to see as much of that. So I think exploring the planet will be kind of interesting as well. I mean, because the trailers too made it look like it was more of a it's going to be definitely a reimagining of it, given that, um, you know, it's kind of going to be the, the MCU's dumpster planet. I mean, for lack of a better term, but, uh, I like, I like how it's looking. It's definitely, the, the tone is consistent. Yeah. I like that. Um, you talked about like it's colorful, but it also has kind of a beaten and weathered look. I think that's something Star Wars has always done well of making stuff kind of colorful and exciting, but also making it look used and like lived in. Every once in a while, I see a sci-fi movie where it's just too bright and it's too polished. Um, I don't know much about it, but this new Valerian movie that's coming out, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It looks like something a visual designer would create, not something people would actually live in. And so when I saw this, I felt like it had a, a good look to make it feel, I don't know if realistic is the right word, because it's obviously not realistic. But it looks like what something would look like if it was lived in instead of just like having a, a design that was separate from like functionality, if that makes any sense. So, Oh, for sure. I mean, because I think when you said that it, things don't look lived in sometimes in sci-fi movies, I immediately thought of the, the Abrams Enterprise 
um, which I love. I love the design of it, but it's just it's it's almost like so pristine that it bugs you. So, yeah. All right, we're gonna keep moving along. We've got a lot of news this week. Um, also coming out in the news this week, there were some people. This was a story that I feel like a reporter created, but we're still happy to talk about it. At a recent Comic Con, Gabriel Luna and John Bernthal were both asked about what they would think of a Thunderbolts-style television show on Netflix, where you had sort of these ambiguous, morally ambiguous, kind of bad guy, kind of good guy heroes that came together for a team. And the suggestion was that Ghost Rider and Punisher would be great to work together on that. Um, In the comic books, there's been versions that are like Deadpool and Red Hulk and characters like that. Uh, And both of them said that they would be open to it. Um, Bernthal was a little more like, oh, if it's a great script, I would do it. Uh, He seems to be a little more of a serious actor to me as far as like, he's not going to sign up for something just because fans would like it. He wants it to fit the character. Um, But still, they both were kind of open to that idea. Uh, Adam, we'll start with you. Do you have like general thoughts? Do you want to see a Thunderbolts kind of show? Or is that not something you're interested in? Sure. You know, I think Luna's just kind of, He's still in the the kid in the candy shop stage, you know. Of course, he wants to appear more and and have his own show and, and do all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's totally not out of the question uh, that we get Thunderbolts. I mean, we have Guardians of the Galaxy, we have Cloak and Dagger, we have New Warriors, <laughs> you know. So any, anything's possible. I, I don't think they would probably go the Thunderbolts route just quite yet. You know, I I certainly wouldn't mind it, you know, in some sort of Netflix phase, uh, you know, alongside uh, Moon Knight and like a, we've talked about the Morbius and the, the Midnight Suns type stuff. Uh, so I think it could kind of fit in something like that. Um, would Ghost Rider and Punisher both be in it? I am not sure. Obviously, we haven't had uh, much of any special effects in any of the uh, Defender stuff. Um, you know, if they're not willing to do a, a little dragon-type thing, I'm not sure if they would want to do Ghost Rider. I know it's uh, quite different, but, you know, the the purpose is there. I, I'm not even sure, you know, what how much a Ghost Rider head would cost compared to what their budget allows, you know. So um, I would guess eventually um, we might see something like that. Um, you know, I, I, we won't see it in 2018 or, or 2019 or anything. I think conceptually, yeah, it could be really cool. Um, but like on the record, I, I seriously doubt that that would happen. I think that's going to be one of those passing comments where, you know, someone says, oh, I'd love to be involved in that. And then they don't really follow through with it. Um, but playing devil's advocate, no pun intended, I think they would have to be really selective um, in their lineup. And I mean, the Thunderbolts have had like a, a, I mean, their lineups over the years have been nuts, but, um, and all over the place. So I think they'd have to be very selective in it, but I think it could be potentially an interesting way to introduce new characters, um, into the MCU or the Netflix verse, uh, that corner of the MCU. I mean, Elektra has been on the team before, which I think obviously should, should happen there. Um, you know, I mean, Cage has even appeared as a Thunderbolt at, at some point along the line. So I think, you know, you could, you would have enough Netflix characters to be able to, to form most of a team that may not have had the chance to interact yet. 
but then at the same time introduce new characters like maybe Bullseye if he doesn't make it into a third season of Daredevil um, or you know even someone like Penance would be interesting I mean it'd have to be a different version but um, it could be a gateway to, to definitely introduce some new characters that could make for some interesting dynamics yeah I have a couple thoughts on this I'll try to get through quickly my first thought is don't ask Gabriel Luna if he wants to do something as Ghost Rider because the answer is going to be yes it seems like it's the only thing he's got right now. And so he's like squeezing it for every bit it's, it's good for. Uh, second thought is I really like Punisher in mystical stuff. I've been reading lately one of these infinite comics that they do that's kind of like a digital comic. That's uh, Punisher and Doctor Strange together. And I kind of enjoy a guy whose power set is that he has lots of guns being forced into sort of a demon world. Like I find that fascinating and so I would love to see Bernthal in a Doctor Strange movie or next to Ghost Rider or something like that. My final thought is, I think there's two ways to do Thunderbolts. One is just, it's a team of anti-heroes, which I'm not in love with. That's fine. I don't think that, that it's that interesting. The other is to go back to, spoiler alert for a comic that's 20 years old, uh, a Thunderbolts where it's villains who are masquerading as heroes. And I think that's way more interesting, and I think it's almost impossible that we'll ever get it in the MCU, because we would know who they are based on what actors were attracted to the project. You know, like, if they suddenly had Daniel Brohl as a hero in an MCU movie, we'd all go, oh, wait a minute, that's Thunderbolts. You know, like, they can't surprise us that way. Um, And so I think the closest we could get to Thunderbolts would be like a Dark Avengers... Norman Osborn getting a bunch of bad guys together and pretending to be heroes for a while. And I think that could be interesting, but just, you know, kind of the idea of a team of anti-heroes, you know, let's suicide, let suicide squad, keep that stuff. And, you know, we'll keep, we'll keep our heroes as heroes in Marvel. I, it's just, it's not appealing to me, but uh, anyways, those are my thoughts on Thunderbolts. Speaking of casting and roles that uh, almost happened, apparently we got a, piece of concept art this week that showed um, Matthew McConaughey was apparently considered for being ego at some point. Uh, At least it went far enough that some artist somewhere did concept work of what Matthew McConaughey as ego would look like. Uh, You guys have obviously seen Guardians now and you've seen what Kurt Russell did. Is there any chance that you would have rather seen Matthew McConaughey or are you pretty happy they ended up with Russell? No, no way. I mean, I love, I love McConaughey. But, I mean, especially after seeing the film, I just, Kurt Russell killed it, in my opinion. I mean, I thought it was perfect casting. As soon as I heard it, that he was announced that he was going to be Ego, um, I stopped for a second because I was like, that's kind of weird, but it's kind of perfect, and I was right. Um, I think McConaughey could have played it, um, and I may think differently if I had heard that McConaughey had been cast. I'd still love to see him in the MCU, but I think think they went with with the right call with Russell. But uh, it could have been interesting, but I think they should, if the MCU is going to pick him up, they should save him for something different, which they are, apparently. Now, let me ask you, Ryan, since you're kind of our Spider-Man expert here tonight, uh, I've heard a lot of people that have said that they want to see Matthew McConaughey as Norman Osborn. Does that sound like a good idea to you, or no? I think, mm, that is a good question. Um, I mean, he's really versatile. Um, and he definitely kind of has the look. It, it just depends on the kind of version that they want to go for. I mean, there's been so many different versions over the years, and without delving into too much history, I think 
that, yeah, I think he could pull it off um, because there's been, I mean, you've had Willem Dafoe playing Norman Osborn back in the first Spider-Man, and then you had, uh, I think it was Chris Cooper in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, drastically different. Um, and, you know, Chris Cooper didn't obviously have enough time to kind of, in my opinion, shine and show what he could have done in that role. Um, but I think seeing McConaughey in that part, he's got the gravitas um, that I think he could he could play that depending on the script they gave him. Do you have a, uh, a dream fan cast for uh, Norman Osborn? I don't because I think just because um, I've seen two versions in two different franchises and it's not that I wouldn't love to see him in the MCU. I think it's just the fact that I've seen two different versions of that character back to back that I kind of need a break to be able to, you know, be able to figure out who I would want in that role. But, uh, you know, when, when I first heard that that fan cast, I was like, okay, I think that that could work. So, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it personally. Uh, the other Guardians bit that we had was that um, Sean Gunn was saying that his brother James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, has been delayed in writing a script for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because he is waiting for Infinity War and Avengers 4 to happen. Um I think at times these big event movies, the Avengers movies have not been like giant cataclysmic things. They could still work on movies after the fact that we're hearing this suggests to me that they really are going to shake up the status quo. I mean, it seems like this is a pretty big deal. Doesn't it, Adam? Yeah, it's going to be huge. You know, I would guess someone's got to die. Some people have to die. Um, since Gunn is, well, he's executive, one of the executive producers on it, so he, I, he's he got to know what's going on uh, to an extent, you know? Um, so, yeah, I was I was kind of, I'm not sure what to think about Sean's comments, you know? it's Did he say something, you know, and it's not necessarily accurate or what, you know? Um, I mean, I think Gunn said numerous times on, it, on his Facebook that he's writing um guardians already or he's at least started it um but yeah i mean of course it it makes perfect sense that it's um affected by infinity war and whatever avengers 4 is um i mean yeah i i would i wouldn't be surprised if not i guess not all of them make it to guardians 3 in a sense you know yeah i think that it's interesting to see um just exactly how much that movie does shake things up. I, I agree that it would seem like James Gunn would know what's going to happen. But what I really like is it does leave some authenticity to the storytelling. Uh, you know, one of the problems with Agent of Sh- Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1 was that they had this predetermined place they had to go um, by the end of the season. And it sort of hamstrung them. And it feels like the Russos are really being given carte blanche to like do what they want to do. And even if that slows down production of later movies, they've got the space to do that. And so I think, I think that's pretty cool. And I think that's, it's hopeful for the way that movie's going to go. Um, let's go ahead and do just a couple other, um, news things. We probably won't talk about these much. Um, we got some Jessica Jones season two set photos and basically everybody's getting arrested we saw Jessica getting arrested. We saw Trish getting arrested. Um, in some ways, this is, I guess, a little spoilery. I, we know Jessica and Trish survive um, the Defenders, apparently. 
But um, we really didn't get much more than that. I am interested to see how many times they can arrest Jessica Jones before that becomes kind of a weird trope that, you know, every six episodes she's going to prison. So, um, but we got some of those set photos. Um, you can check those out on the website. Uh, we also got a few comments about Thor The Dark World um, from Patty Jenkins. As many of you know, she directed Wonder Woman, which is coming out this weekend. And in her conversations about Thor The Dark World, she talks about what she wanted the movie to be. And she talks about how she wanted it more to be a Romeo and Juliet story. And ultimately, uh, that's part of the reason she left the project. Um, I find that interesting because I felt like there was a decent amount of romantic subplot in that movie. And I think a lot of people don't like that there was so much romantic subplot in that movie. But um, it's just interesting to see those comments. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on either of those stories or any of the other new stuff before we move along? I don't think it was a mistake to skew away from the romantic plot being like the main thing um, and that the conflict was keeping Thor away from Jane. I mean, because, you know, in my opinion, I didn't think that their chemistry was you know, anything special. So I think that that was one of the least interesting aspects of the Thor stories that they've told so far. So um, I'm not sure that they necessarily were thinking that when they, you know, when they said no to her pitch, but I think if done right, it could have been an interesting approach to, to the film. The idea of, uh, I really want some more Jane Foster feels a little bit like I really need some more cowbell, you know, <laughs> like, uh, really? Is that really what you think is going to improve the situation? So... Uh, it's funny. All right. If you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know that we usually at this point do a review of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but obviously there is no Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because it's summer and all the major networks uh, are not showing new episodes of their uh, fall lineups. And so uh, what we've decided to do this summer in the break between now and Defenders and then going into Inhumans is that we were going to do a countdown of our uh, of all the Marvel television seasons, uh, there's been 11 different seasons of different Marvel shows. We're starting at number 11, going down to number one. Uh, myself and Adam and Rhiannon all ranked the shows, and then we're going to go through them one at a time. Last week, we talked about number 11 on our list, which was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3, which uh, I think frustrated many of our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans. We got a lot of good comments on that on the website. Uh, just remember that's Adam Rhiannon's fault and not my fault. But anyways, moving on this week, we have uh, number 10 on our list, which is Agent Carter Season 2, which I really thought would be bottom, but it came in at 10th. Um, guys, let me ask this question. Did both of you watch Agent Carter Season 2? I did. Okay. The reason I ask is I was amazed how many people in the comments gave their own rankings last week. And like half of them were like, yeah, I never even watched. I just, I never bothered with it. I never got back to it. So uh, it seems like it's not super popular. Um, from your memories, what did you guys like or not like about Agent uh, Carter season two uh, back when it aired about a year and a half ago? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't want to say I didn't like anything. Um, yeah, the... the just a, a forewarning, this is probably my least favorite MCU thing ever. It's just completely forgettable. You know, it's even more forgettable than Thor The Dark World, you know. Um, I mean, Atwell kills it. I She's awesome, you know. If, if she uh, wasn't uh, 
a hundred or whatever she is in the current timeline, you know, it'd be awesome keeping her around. You know, I'm well, she's also dead. I th- she's all, that's what I'm saying. She's dead. Cause you know, she's old. Um, you know, I, last week I was saying how, uh, season three of agents of shield was long and boring. Well, that's 22 episodes. And I think maybe this 10 episode season was even longer. I just didn't like the, the whole the whole uh, storyline behind it, I guess that dark matter Hollywood type stuff. I I just don't like it. I guess I don't know what it is necessarily. You know, it's I suppose since I think Guardians and Iron Fist are the best things ever. You know, <laughs> my opinion's kind of slanted, but it I just thought it was pretty boring. I think from a narrative standpoint, seeing um her kind of transplanted from New York to, to Hollywood was an interesting idea. Um, because let's face it. I mean, yeah, it's, it was set in the, I guess in the, was it late forties, early fifties, kind of a, kind of a time frame. So it's almost like it's a different place, but I think what the MCU has been able to do for the most part is, is keep things outside of New York. Um, which is which is which is nice because you know everybody in the Marvel universe basically in the comics is set in New York, so uh, from a story oper- or a story standpoint, I think that gave them a lot more flexibility to tell a different story. Um, was that the right story? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I, what I thought was cool about the first season was how that kind of rode off of or kind of came out of Captain America: The First Avenger, but didn't really I mean it wrote its coattails but it didn't it was its own thing it, it you could see the connections but it wasn't forced with this one you know it also stood on its own and I thought it was interesting how they brought in Whitney Frost um for, for those who don't know was a was um Madame Mask in the comics an Iron Man villain so it was an interesting take on her but I feel like it definitely with the dark matter skewed things a little too much towards the cosmic side for the tone that they had established um, and I thought that the romantic it's funny you mentioned Madame Mask um, this is actually something I'm really interested in that I feel like um, it's just weird occasionally Marvel appears to create a essentially new character altogether and they feel the need to slap a comic book name onto a new character so, like, the Whitney Frost, Madame Mask thing. I don't think they needed to ever have connected that character to Madame Mask. I think they could have just created a new character for that show that was an original villain, and it would have worked great. But they feel the need to kind of connect it to the IP, which sometimes, to me, it just it just feels unnecessary. It feels like you burn a character you don't need to burn. Um, to a lesser case, I felt that way about... Um, Baron Zemo in Civil War. Like, that was a different enough character you almost didn't have to call him Zemo. And so, if you're going to do that, I just have never understood why Marvel feels the need to slap a comic book character name onto it. Like, we're okay with original characters. That would not be a problem, you know? For sure. Now, when that show came out, they tried to connect it to... uh, They talked about... They really teased how it was going to connect to Doctor Strange... And the new season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I guess it was all um, connected to Dark Force or Dark Matter. Do you guys feel like they've ever defined what Dark Force or Dark Matter really is? Or is it just like 
the ultimate MacGuffin that can be whatever whatever writer needs it to be. Definitely a MacGuffin. I think like even even Loki's comment in the in the first Avengers when he when he when Thor you know snags him out of the Quinjet and then he, they land and then they have to like say how Thor got back and he was like how much dark mu- or dark matter did the All Father have to muster to conjure you here and it's like what is that you know it's it's I think that they and they've kind of explained sort of halfway explained it in about three different ways and none of them really make sense together so I do feel like it's a it's a get out of jail free card yeah I feel like Adam you hit well on just that this didn't ever go anywhere I think the problem with Agent Carter is that they did a one shot where they told the story of how Agent Carter from Captain America became Agent Carter head of shield and they did that in like 15 minutes and then they said, oh, hey, what if we turn that 15 minutes into 20 episodes of television? And it kind of yeah. had the same problem to me that Gotham has, right? Like, I don't watch that show much anymore, but the problem with Gotham is all you want to see is Batman, but they can't give you Batman or else the show ceases to exist. And I felt with Agent Carter, like, all we wanted to see was her start shield, but they couldn't give that to us. I mean, I think they could have. They could have showed us the early days of shield. But they just, it never went, like, there was just that plot stuck in the mudness. They, you know, like, how many times are you going to do the, oh, she's a woman, and people don't respect women in the yeah. 1950s. I mean, that's true. It just felt really redundant. You know, like, how many times did she had to save these guys' butts before they would start to trust her? Um, I think all of that just got very stuck with that show, so. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, if, if they put, um, you know, kind of the creation of, shield in there you know i think it would have been a lot more interesting i mean and ant-man you know we saw that so if we kind of saw it lead into that a bit you know i think that would have been more interesting but i just i mean i think it, it felt like they um i mean anticipated a third season or something you know because it just kind of ended without any resolution you know and it pretty much hit a brick wall and that's about it that's why i've always been like a, a big proponent of miniseries and when i heard the defenders was like eight episodes i was like perfect because i think that's what a lot of um a lot of tv shows um kind of fall into now that that pit uh i'm behind on agents of shield but i can't say that my family watches the flash um and i tend to be around when they're watching it i don't like actively watch it but i get the gist and I think that that's not to trash on the Flash, but like that—that's the idea that when you get to like twenty-two episodes, you know exactly where your story is gonna go, and you can tell where it's gonna end. And so much of that middle just tends to be filler. That I feel like um, that kind of thing. Even you know, like you said, with fifteen minutes, Agent Carter was pared down. So just pare down the series. You know, if ten episodes is still too long, then make a mini series or make like a three-part event or something like that. It would tighten up your 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 time frame so that way you can tell the story in a timely manner that makes sense but still progresses events far enough so that way it makes sense to the audience and you don't feel like oh this is really lagging or that was way too fast it, there's a there's a nice balance you have to catch with that yeah this is actually a little pet thought that i've had i would love to see abc go to a um like a marvel comics presents kind of show that did like mini seasons like the pods of agents of shield like 
forget giving me 22 episodes of agents of shield. I would love it. If you had three to five, eight episode pods throughout the year, you could call it Marvel comics presents or whatever. And you do inhumans for eight episodes. And then you do agents of shield for eight episodes. And then we do Namor for eight episodes. And then we do a ghost rider show for eight, you know, like, and you can keep it on the same day. And I think people would eat that up. And like, We've seen with S.H.I.E.L.D. that you give a concise, small unit and you tell people to tell a story the way they want to tell it and get it over with, and then you're done. And I just think there's an underappreciation of that. Totally agree. Uh, this week, if you did not notice, uh, we don't, I don't think this has been made it to the website yet, but uh, Peggy Carter, or not Peggy Carter, but Haley Atwell, uh, gave a few very generic comments about what season three would have looked like. And it sounds like she's still open to doing it. Um, I think that really, as we've said, the founding of S.H.I.E.L.D. would be an interesting story. Particularly they fast forward to like the 1960s or 70s and you had a slightly older Peggy, a slightly older Howard Stark. And then you maybe bring in like a young Hank Pym and create like those three as sort of a you know, three-headed monster that's leading S.H.I.E.L.D. You could even bring in, like, a 20-something Nick Fury into that show. Uh, bring in the Howling Commandos. Bring, you know, Dum Dum and some of those guys back in. I think that could be a really fun show. And I almost wish that Agent Carter, Agent Carter had been that more than what it became at that second season. So I can kind of see why they didn't, though, because then at that point it, it ceases to become her show. And I think a lot of people may have thought, that this is just a bridge to to give a lot of fan service or a lot of Easter eggs. Um, and I personally would have been okay with the show being like that. Like, I feel like certain characters at a certain point are better to serve as a bridge. Um, and I think especially after seeing the journey through season one of Agent Carter, I feel like a season two could have been a good bridge into the wider MCU. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah. And I should say, as much as we said negative things, I think we would all agree... Uh, the interaction between Peggy and Jarvis was always fun, was always enjoyable. I found Howard Stark to always be funny. Um, the mundane things like the dialogue and the banter and the humor, I thought they did really well on that show. It just felt like they had to come up with excuses for why to have the fun banter and humor. Um, but generally, I thought it was, it was pretty well done. And uh, the relationship between Peggy and Jarvis... The fact that they never went like a cheap romantic subplot there, I thought was really awesome. And the fact that his wife was never a weird sort of jealousy, like I thought all of that was pretty mature writing. So those are good things about that show. And I think when we talk about season one in a couple weeks, that will probably highlight those things a little bit more. So, all right, let's move on to our main conversation, which this week, since we've got Ryan with us, we are going to talk about Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming is just around the corner. There's a variety of things happening with Spider-Man. We're going to touch on them all with Ryan just to pick his brain. Uh, as a big Spidey fan, I think he probably has a little more thoughts on some of this than we might. Um, I know uh, Adam, I don't know if you know this, Ryan, but Adam is uh, well known for his relative Spider-Man disinterest. I believe he is often <laughs> called Spider-Man Vanilla Ice Cream, if I'm incorrect. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, we found a little bit of news this week. We found out that Spider-Man Homecoming is going to be two hours and ten minutes long. I, I honestly don't know what that means. I was going to look up the run times of the others. That sounds good. Two-hour movies are great. Um, it's a little longer than some of the other MCU ones, but that's fine with me. Um, 
Ryan, let's start with uh, how do you feel about Spider-Man movies in general? Like, what have been the good ones? What have been the bad ones? Just what do you feel like this movie needs to do to really be what you think it needs to be? Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, well, I guess we, we, we need to start with... Okay, so my, I guess I'll start at the beginning um, because, I mean, as a kid, you know, my dad gave me a box of his old comic books and it was, like, predominantly Spider-Man. And I think that I really related to him on a personal level. And I think, I don't even really know this at the time. Um, but I just, I, cause I loved all the characters and everything and you don't, and, and at that age you don't really know why. And then when, as you get older, you start to understand like, Oh, well, he's like a student like I am and he's got bills to pay like I do. And he's got to take care of his family, but he's got a job. He's got to hold down, but he's a superhero. Like it's, it's, it's an unprecedented character dynamic. Um, that no one had really explored before, I mean, when Stan Lee pitched the idea to Marvel, you know, originally in the 60s, you know, the execs were like, isn't a teenager supposed to be like a sidekick? And so having him be a full-fledged hero on his own was this great idea. And so I really identified, you know, with the character, and as I've grown, you know, the character's grown, and you can identify with different aspects of it. So I say all that to say the comics were really my first love um, when it came to that. And the movies... While they've been, they've had their highs and they've had their lows, I don't really feel like a movie has gotten it all the way right. And I know that that's kind of a big thing to ask. Um, but I think as far as my favorite Spider-Man, there was parts of the Raimi movies I liked and there was parts of the Amazing Spider-Man movies that I liked. And I think that what we're seeing with Homecoming is kind of an amalgamation of the good um, from both of those franchises and a lot of the comic stuff that I think people or that Marvel and Sony had not touched on before. I guess specifically Sony hadn't touched on before um, because people just weren't ready for to see, you know, Spider-Man jump off the Washington Monument with web wings, you know, but now we've had Guardians of the Galaxy and you've seen a talking raccoon and a tree, you know, interact and people love it. So I think now is the time for them to specifically delve into a bunch of comic stuff that has been kind of left off the table until now. Uh, oops, sorry, I lost my point. My notes, what did I see? Oh. Um, so we've seen Spider-Man already in Civil War. It sounds like you're you're pretty excited about sort of the teenage Peter Parker. Tom Holland has kind of your stamp of approval that he's getting the role right. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think that that was one thing. Um, while the the first two franchises with Raimi and Webb, those two directors were able to tell some more mature stories with Spider-Man, but I think he almost grew up too fast. Um, he graduated within like the first. I want to say 40 minutes of the first Raimi Spider-Man. And then he graduated in the opening act of the amazing Spider-Man two in that franchise. And I know that he didn't spend the majority of his comic career in high school, but I think that's the heart and soul of the character. Um, so I think that was definitely the right call to bring him back to, to being that age and being that carefree kind of a, kind of a character. Adam, how did you feel? I know that you haven't been quite as excited about Spidey, but did you enjoy him in Civil War? Do you feel like he was uh, kind of what you expect out of a Spider-Man? Yeah, I, I think they did it right. You know, I think that's the smart move to go this way. You know, after this is going to be the third franchise involving him, you know, so you got to do kind of something different. And if he if he moves through high school, you know, in the first 40 minutes of the past two franchises, you know, it's kind of like, what are you going to do? And now they, they've they said um, that essentially the whole plan is to do uh, a year of high school each movie, 
of sort. Um, I think Homecoming is supposed to be a sophomore. Um, you know, so if they can squeeze out a trilogy while he's in high school the whole time, you know, I think that's, um, that's one hell of a start. You know, like Ryan said, I mean, that is the heart and soul of the character. As little as I like Spider-Man, you know, I think that's a really smart move, you know, putting the Vulture in there instead of Green Goblin or Doc Ock or, or one of those big, big name guys, you know, I, I really think that's a good move as well. All right, so let me ask both of you guys this question. Um, what is one thing that they need to do? Like, what is one thing they could do or that you'd like them to do that you'll walk out of the theater just saying, yes, they nailed that, that was perfect, that movie needed that? Like, is there one big thing that you're hoping to have as a takeaway as you, as you come out of that movie? I would say... A, and this may be kind of surprising, but I would say a really good supporting cast. Um, and I say that to say in the comics, you know, Peter always had this this great kind of ensemble of characters around him. Um, you know, I guess if we're taking it back to like the, the first run of Amazing Spider-Man with Stan Lee and Steve, Di- Steve Ditko, um, you had like, you know, Peter and, and uh, Gwen was kind of really... was introduced a little later on but you had liz allen like we're seeing in homecoming um there was that flash thompson dynamic harry osborne was in the mix um and i think different versions of spider-man over the years have kind of done this better than others like um the spectacular spider-man animated series that came out in 2008 um i think really captured that um because it's that's i mean that's the high school you know you have cliques and you have different friend groups and you have different people interacting with other people and it creates some interesting dynamics and I think that's something that's been kind of missing in the other two franchises in the Raimi trilogy you had you know Peter and Mary Jane and Harry and that was kind of your trio which is fine um but I I think seeing the interactions at school with some of Peter's friends will be interesting um and then in uh The Amazing Spider-Man you really just had Peter and Gwen they tried to introduce Harry Osborn in the second one but it didn't it, that didn't hit for me um, as much as I would have wanted it to. Uh, so I think definitely seeing um, Jacob Batalon as uh, as Ned in the in the various clips and trailers we've seen definitely looks like he's going to be a strong addition to that cast. Um, we haven't seen much out of Liz um, or Zendaya's Michelle uh, yet thus far, and I and I feel that there's probably going to be a reason for that. But I think definitely that there's going to be some interesting character dynamics and I think that this could if they do this right could lend itself to a lot of different supporting characters and even you know the potential of introducing more characters uh like maybe Miles Morales down the line Adam do you have any thought on that question something you really hoping to walk out thinking a totally sick daredevil cameo (laughs) (laughs) is it bad that we're at the point that we just laugh as soon as you say that like we have no hope that that that's actually going to happen yeah no, that'd be cool. Um, realistically, you know, Ganky's going to be awesome. Ned, whoever you want to call him. Fake, um, fake Ganky <laughs> is my personal title yes. for him. but Fake Ganky. Um, no, you know, uh, even somewhat of a hint um, towards Miles Morales, you know. I think he's going to be the uh, future soon enough. Um there's talk about uh, Glover's character being Prowler, um, so that would be a huge nod towards Miles. 
Um, I'm just looking to be entertained, I suppose. You know, I I might have said this before. I mean, I don't want to say I'm not looking forward to it. I mean, I'm going to go on opening night still, but it's just I'm not going to buy every single movie poster like I did with Guardians 2, and I'm not going to buy all the pops and legends <laughs> and all that stuff. So I, I just want to be entertained. I want it to uh, further the cause of the MCU, which I think... Uh, it will build certainly build a nice little corner of the uh, Spideyverse within the MCU. Yeah, I think my big takeaway is I am hoping that I leave just totally thrilled by Michael Keaton as the Vulture. I think one of the weirdest things in these movies is that Spider-Man... I know people don't generally agree with me. I think Spider-Man's villains are about as good as Batman's villains. Like, I just think his rogue gallery totally is agree. so good. And yet, when I think back through the movies, William Defoe's Green Goblin was all right. Um, Melina as Octopus was great. And then Sandman, Ugg, Topher Grace as Do Venom, we have to talk about Double that? Ugg. No. <laughs> uh, lizard no. was about the most forgettable villain ever. I, I don't remember a thing about the Lizard in The Amazing Spider-Man. And then Jamie Foxx was just... I heard somebody this week describe it as it was just like he was in a totally different movie than the rest of the cast, you know? Like, it's like they filmed all of his scenes on a different soundstage or something because it was just bizarre. And so it's just, it's weird to me. Oh, and then, yeah, and then, oh, um, I don't know, a little troll guy that they had as Green Goblin in that movie. Like, there's just so many things that throughout those movies that those villains should be the best villains in comics. And yet we've only gotten one and a half really good villains out of Spider-Man movies. And so I'm just, that's my big takeaways. I want Michael Keaton to blow it out of the water so that um, we can just finally say we got a good Spidey villain. And hopefully that we have the seeds of some other good ones in kind of this crew that he has and all that kind of stuff. But that's the key. It's got to be the seeds for a good villain because <laughs> I just, oh man, I'm having like, Ah, it's uh, it's just it's rough for me for the for the film history because I agree with you I I've, I've long thought and not just because I'm a big Spidey fan but I think Batman has probably the greatest Rogues Gallery but Spider Man if there is a second I mean they might be on par but Spider Man's right there with him um, and with Spider Man three that was the first time that we ever had like villain trauma in a movie because like there were just too many dynamics going on and then. I remember with The Amazing Spider-Man 2 hearing, okay, this is Electro's movie. I was like, great. I love Electro. Jamie Foxx in the makeup looks awesome. Then you heard that Paul Giamatti was Rhino, and you heard that uh, Green Goblin was going to be in there. And then at that point, I was just like, this is going to be Spider-Man 3. And then Mark Webb was like, no, we swear it's not Spider-Man 3. And it was, in my opinion, almost, I don't know. It's it's a, it's close to see yeah, which one he is lied. worse. It was so Spider-Man I think 3. <laughs> it was Spider Man three, and and try, you know seeing that we do have um, the Shocker in here and the Tinkerer uh, and Vulture. I mean, I at this point I don't think it's going to be a villain overload because I trust what Marvel can do with an ensemble. Um, what I'm most afraid of, I guess, is that some villains will get thrown away, kind of like Crossbones at the beginning of Civil War. Like, I didn't feel like he was necessarily thrown away, but he was underutilized. I mean, he was there and then he was gone. And I hope that it's like you said, that there are seeds for these villains. Like, 
they don't have a big part now, but they could in the future and they don't all die. Yeah. I think that I was about to say, let's ask the opposite question of, you know, what is the thing that you could walk out going, oh no, this was ruined. And mine was going to be exactly that. There is a little danger here. We've got Glover and we don't know exactly what he's going to be. We've got um, not Tom Hardy, uh, Logan Marshall Green um, in this movie. We've got uh, Shocker. We've got uh, Vulture. We've got the Tinkerer. And that is the one the one thing that I think could just really derail this thing is um, I want to see the Sinister Six someday, but they have to build the Sinister Six the same way they built the Avengers, kind of one at a time, maybe two at a time. But overfilling it with villains is the best way to really mess it up. Maybe a one B would be uh, forcing a romantic subplot that feels really fake, particularly given how young this Peter Parker is. You know, like he can like girls and there can be some fun high school stuff. But, you know, like I don't want to see him falling for the love of his life, particularly if Michelle does end up being Mary Jane. Like, you know, I just don't I don't think we need that. So. But I open that question to you guys, too. Like, is there anything else that you fear as something that could just totally send this thing off the rails? Um, and this, this, hmm. I almost don't want to say this because, you know, I don't want the comment section to go nuts on me. But um, this being a Spider-Man movie, I think one of my fears from the beginning um, has been that, and this wouldn't throw it off the rails, but I think, um, personally, I'm kind of concerned that there's a little too much Stark in yeah. this. Because um, it was a great dynamic in, in Civil War. Uh, and one that we've... I mean, it's it's happened in the comics before. So it's nothing, you know, entirely new. But um, seeing that on film before and having him have a mentor role, not in an Uncle Ben sense, but someone who can kind of step into Uncle Ben's shoes as he's younger um, and kind of lead him was really interesting for me and I think Stark was a perfect fit them being kindred spirits with the you know they both are scientists in a sense and things like that but I am concerned that there's going to be too much Stark and that he's going to steal the show and potentially help take down the Vulture if Iron Man showed up in the third act to help take down the Vulture I think that is what would ruin that for me yeah this should not be Iron Man homecoming you know like but there's a real (laughs) danger and you know Sony frankly I don't trust Sony I trust Feige and I'm hoping that like he's in charge of this script. I could just be like, I could see Feige sending a script to Sony and it comes back and the notes are, could you add Tony Stark in here? Could we put Robert Downey Jr. here? Hey, what about some more Stark here? What about Iron Man here? Is it possible that Iron Man could be, you know, like I could just see that as the only thing they want because Sony seems to think that more of everything is necessarily better (laughs) based on their advertising and stuff. So. Uh, Adam, do you have any fears about where this movie could go? I fear that we have already pretty much seen the whole movie in the trailer or in the, in the clips we've seen, you know, uh, especially after the first one. I after I didn't have the wow factor like, oh, man, this is going to be, you know, something to look forward to. You know, it's I don't want to say not look forward to. Um, you know, it just feels like it feels like everything's been crammed into the minute and a half trailer or whatever, you know, I'm not sure. Um, unless they save some huge couple plot twists or something, you know, but 
we've gotten pretty much a good look at everyone and it it feels like we've gotten um you know especially after after james gunn says our trailers aren't going to show anything past the first 20 minutes which was right i mean everything in the trailers we saw of guardians pretty much happened right out of the gates in the movie um whereas spider-man just feels like we've seen clips from throughout the whole entire movie and i guess that's my ultimate thing i don't want to go into the movie theater and then come back out with all the cool parts being in the trailer you know with spidey pulling together a huge fairy and uh you know iron man and, and all that stuff you know um I guess that's what makes me most nervous. I totally agree, and, and kind of piggybacking off of what you said, um, I was really concerned about that as well. Um, and I'm a massive Spider-Man fan, so I didn't think there was anything that could kind of diminish my excitement. And after seeing the second and third trailers, I got to admit I was kind of let down on that. Um, but I was talking to a buddy about this, and we kind of... It was actually on our way back from Guardians 2, and of all things, and we were, we were talking about that and how people were kind of pissed off about that but i think um the the what we were talking about was that you know you saw the the fairy and that's obviously early on he gets a suit taken away and then he battles the vulture and you see that he's in the the homemade suit when he battles the vulture on the plane and they crash down by the amusement park i guess probably down by coney island um but we were kind of talking about in the way that the narrative structure looks like it's going to go on we don't think that, uh, I don't think that this is going to be, the third act has been in the trailers. I think the third act is going to be that big sequence in DC when you see the web wings um, at the end. Because I'm betting that even when Peter faces the vulture in uh, in the first act, he may not know about his web wings yet. You see in the trailers, he's kind of discovering things about his suit. And I think that the third act is going to be him discovering that part about his suit or maybe Tony takes the training wheels protocol off and then that's when you see the big fight and he will be in his in his you know Stark suit to to finish the vulture so that's what I hope anyway yeah I think that's I've always said that that second trailer I thought was telegraphing the whole movie Um, because that second trailer does that sequence it's like the fairy the costume goes away Coney Island and the airplane and then the trailer ends with, um, I think people forget the Washington Monument gets blown up in that trailer. I don't want to like help it spoil stuff, but there is like an explosion on the Washington Monument. So I think that could really be it. Um, so before we move on and finish this off, I did want to take a moment. Uh, we have not been covering the news around um, Silver and Black which is not a documentary about the Oakland Raiders as much as it sounds like it. <laughs> it is a movie about Silver Sable and Black Cat. If you've just woken up from like a three-month sleep and you're saying Silver Sable and Black Cat, yes, that's right, Silver Sable and Black Cat. Uh, we've never talked about it on this podcast because it, was, it seems so stupid we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it. Um, but there was major rumors this week, the kind of rumors that either are huge bombshells or totally untrue. Uh, that talked about that movie, suggested there's going to be a lot of Spider-Man characters in it, that the guy who becomes Scorpion is going to be in it, Craven the Hunter is going to be in it, the Chameleon's going to be in it, Spider-Woman, or at least Jessica Drew is going to be in it, which is interesting because we're not sure where the rights to her lie currently. Um, also that there was going to be Oscorp, and that there was going to be Roxxon, and that there was going to be Dominic Fortune. 
Now, the thing that's weird about that is we know that the MCU owns Dominique Fortune. And if this report is true, he's either a shared character or Marvel is explicitly working with Sony to let this happen. Um, I don't think it would be shared. I don't, I mean, I don't think he has any history with Spider-Man. So it would seem that Marvel is on board with this movie. Um, so we have not covered it yet. Maybe we need to. There's starting to be questions on if this is going to be MCU connected or not. Uh, Ryan, just, uh, that's a lot. Do you have any thoughts about that stuff or Venom or any of these other sub things that have been going on with Spider-Man? Um, yeah, I, I have several thoughts about that stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't know what Sony's doing with this whole tangent universe that they're going. They're calling it like the Sony's Marvel universe or something or other. So I think, um, honestly, you would think that after two franchises that were, you know, they didn't fail, but they didn't, they, they underperformed, uh, at one point or another along the way. And you think, would think that if Sony can't handle or make a successful Spider-Man franchise by itself, when you don't have to deal with another studio, you know, why would you go off and try to make a separate franchise based on other characters surrounding Spider-Man with no direct connection to Spider-Man, right? I mean, like, they had to, to make a deal with Marvel with their biggest character that they had rights to in order to get Homecoming made, so why would you try to do these different things and this this may be kind of a, a gutsy statement, but I'm I'm wondering if if Sony's not potentially trying to force Marvel into a buyout to take the character away totally, um, because even though my the one thing I'll say about the Venom movies, even though Tom Hardy that casting to me seems right, um, and that's been largely you know praised. I'm I I don't see how you tell a Venom story without Spider Man. Uh, I just, I don't see it. So, um, either it's either Sony's really just trying to, to run with this while they have some connection to Spider-Man or they're trying to force Marvel into a buyout, which I wouldn't think would be the best business practice given that you just struck up this monumental studio deal. Um, but all I will say is that I hope this works out for the best because I think Spider-Man, like you said, has got a great, uh, repertoire of, supporting characters that could potentially be great add-ons to movies while I'm not sure that they can necessarily handle their own. Yeah. I really worry about poisoning the well. Like I do not want to see a bad Craven the hunter, particularly if that means that that puts off a Craven's last hunt movie for another decade. You know, like this is my biggest problem with the X-Men movies nowadays is not so much that Fox is making cause they're making some decent ones. I'm fearful if they do dark Phoenix one more time, which they're doing, they are so going to like just create a stink around the concept of Dark Phoenix that even if Marvel got the rights back tomorrow, they're going to have to wait 30 years to be able to do it so that, you know, some of us die off and forget that it happened, you know, like, and that <laughs> is the part that I'm not interested in. So, um, yeah, I feel that. Adam, did you have any thoughts on, on Silver and Black as a movie? Holy cow! That that's a lot to put in a movie. I think Tombstone was even one of the uh, oh yeah, I forgot him. characters mentioned in that. You know, and one would think we're probably going to end up getting Tombstone sometime in Netflix. Um, 
it's just kind of one of those deals. Um, yeah, it, goodness gracious. I hope it doesn't happen for the sake of ruining all those characters. Um, yeah, I think it's more of a power play than anything. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Execic Sony leaked that just to uh, kind of get Marvel uneasy a bit and kind of throw the throw their checkbook at them, you know? Um, I mean, to me, it it makes sense from Marvel's end to buy the whole library of Spidey characters and own it outright, you know? Just imagine all the stuff they could do and, and how good they could do it. Um, I mean, probably not on X-Men level, um, but still having Venom in the MCU and Carnage and, and all that stuff. Um, not necessarily Carnage would fit in the thing, um, but, you know, I just think it would be a good move should Marvel make it. I don't think the movie's ever going to see the light of day. I hope it doesn't. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Sorry. Um, I think my biggest thing on that, too, like you said, Adam, is that they will waste characters because you got two franchises already in the can, and, you know, you like Caleb was saying earlier, you, you've you've knocked out your Green Goblins and your Doc Ox, and like, I was a kid when those movies came out, but now as an adult, I don't want to see Green Goblin and Doc Ock anymore. Um, and the thing about Spidey is that he does have a great, you know, rogues gallery, and my biggest thing that I've been lobbying for for years has been like, let's have Mysterio and Craven in sequels. Not in the same sequel, but like, so if Sony gets impatient says, you know, oh, well, we want to set up a Sinister Six or our own version or we get impatient with this character, they're getting impatient with Venom. That's the thing that made the MCU so successful is that they were patient and they waited and they played their cards at the right time and everything fell into place. And I think that everything Sony did with the past Amazing Spider-Man franchise and trying to shoehorn the Sinister Six in there really quickly felt like uh, it was really forced into the script of the movie, and then also it didn't make me excited, and that should have made me excited um, to see all those characters come together. So um, I think they need to either get with Marvel or sell it because you know at a certain point you got to keep in mind what's best for the characters, even though we know that that's not going to happen because let's face it, this is a business. Yeah, my hope for it is that whatever they do, it's like an escape pod on a spaceship. Like, it can be connected, and they leave the capability for it to fit in continuity so that Marvel could absorb it in if they want to. But if it stinks, they can just shoot it out and not make it part of continuity, you know? <laughs> um, it makes me think of when they started this Dark Universe thing at Universal. They thought that uh, Dracula retold or untold or something was going to be the one that kicked it off, and then it stunk. And they were like, uh, never mind. No, that's not part of this. I want that with these movies. I want to be able to claim them if they're good and exile them if they're bad. And I think there's some clever ways that you can do that. So uh, I guess that's my hope. You know, like that's the best of both worlds to me. If Tom Hardy Venom is awesome, tell the story in a way that we can retro, you know, retcon it into the rest of the MCU. Uh, so we're going to go into our mailbag now. We have some different comments from the website and other places. As a reminder, if you want to interact with the show, you can leave a comment on the page on MCU Exchange. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag MCUEXPOD, that's MCUXPOD, and share your thoughts that way. 
Uh, you can also leave comments on the Facebook, though I sometimes check those and sometimes don't. Um, but we love having your guys' interactions. So I'm going to try my best to mention a lot of you, but do it quickly. We love your long comments. We just can't read through them all. Obviously, it make the show very long and very boring. Uh, maybe not very boring, but definitely very long. So uh, here's some of the comments from the website. Love Waffle. Uh, agreed with you, Adam, that Punisher, he thinks, is overrated as a character. So you got somebody on your side. Bradford. Yeah, there you go, man. Love Waffle and you are on the same page. Bradford DeLuca uh, mentioned that he did not watch the Spider-Man 3 trailer, uh, the, the third trailer to Spider-Man uh, Homecoming because he doesn't want it to be ruined. That's probably a good idea. Ultimate Typeface uh, had some great ideas about what makes the Punisher work and what uh, doesn't make the Punisher work. So it'll be interesting to see how that lines up with the Netflix show. Uh, Dave um, talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp and suggested that it would be really cool if it was like Back to the Future and if they mess with time travel, which is something we talked about last week. Um, Chris told Rhiannon that, yes, many people did cry when Bobby and Hunter left Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he was one of them. Uh, Fanamir liked Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3 more than we did. I think almost all of our commenters did. Jeffro40220 uh, gave some ideas for some Punisher stories. Mattman um, suggested that Punisher is still on the run for the authorities. We kind of debated that last week. Um, and then going to iTunes, we got a new iTunes review, five stars from JRufus0803. Said, everything they cover, meaning the podcast, is great. They talk about everything in such detail and depth. It's truly one of the best places to increase your hype, uh, increase your hype obsessions for the MCU. If you love the podcasts, Definitely check out the YouTube channel and website if you haven't already. To all the people who run MCU Exchange, you guys are great. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Jay Rufus. We appreciate that a lot, man. That is helpful and helps the podcast get out to other people. Uh, on Twitter, we did have Ed ask a question, and it's a great question given uh, having Ryan here to talk about Spidey. He said, I have a fan cast for your approval. Walter Goggins as Mephisto in Doctor Strange or Ghost Rider spinoff. Do you have any thoughts? I am not familiar with the actor, actually. Um, I think that, and this is my opinion, I think that Mephisto is best suited for someone like Doctor Strange to deal with than Spider-Man because, in my opinion, um, and this is going to be a comic spoiler warning um, for the original Civil War arc and the, uh, the a couple issues afterwards for Spider-Man, so that out of the way um towards the end of the civil war arc uh you know aunt may gets shot uh and you know spider-man ends up having to like make a deal with mephisto that you know everything will kind of change back but um without going into too much detail i felt like that was really um kind of contrary to everything that spider-man is as a character um his his big you know you know, his MO is that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and, and he didn't take responsibility for, um, you know, removing his mask during the events of civil war and showing people his identity. And that's what put Aunt May in danger in the first place. And so Mephisto reversed his marriage with Mary Jane and everything kind of went back and it was, I thought it was a cheap way to kind of rewrite continuity. So I think as a Spider-Man character, 
not a great option, um, but I think he could definitely fit in the realm with uh, within the realm of Doctor Strange. Or either you two familiar with the actor? Do you think that he would be a good fit? Uh, he looks really he looks really weird. Uh, do you know him? Do you know the <laughs> actor Adam? I don't. Um, I googled him, and first thought is uh, just by looks he wanted to uh, make that bad of a Karnak. But yeah, I don't know anything about him. Yeah. Too late. Too late. Too slow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was funny. I actually read that text uh, tweet the wrong way. And even though I said it out loud the right way, he did put Mephisto. In my head, I was thinking uh, Mysterio. And so when you started talking about like all that other stuff, I was like, what is he talking Oh, no, it does say Mephisto. So I don't know, Ed. I was thinking about whether I thought he would make a good uh, Mysterio or not. And for the record, as much as I love Spidey and Mysterio, uh, I want them to save Mysterio for like season six of daredevil uh so we can do guardian devil that's just my own personal take but uh i don't know it'd be cool i guess if he could be in a spider-man movie first and then make the move over to tv i think that does it for our mailbag we made it through that stuff pretty quickly uh if you guys enjoy the show we would love for you to help us get it out to more people share it with your friends share the posts on facebook and twitter uh like i said uh, interact with us all the different ways we said also, we love it when you give us reviews on iTunes. A five-star review and a nice couple of comments does a lot to get the show uh, to rank better on iTunes. It's kind of a weird, or uh, yeah, on iTunes, it's a weird uh, algorithm they use for that. Uh, also, like us and comment on it when it makes it to YouTube. I know it has not been there as uh, consistently as we like it to be, but uh, when it's there, feel free to interact with us that way. We really appreciate you guys uh, being part of the show and interacting with us and all that stuff. Uh, I think that about does it for today. Ryan, we really appreciate you being with us. Uh, Usually at the end, we just share any details about where people can contact us on Twitter or any other like blogs or podcasts, anything else we're involved with. So feel free and and share your details uh, with the listener. For sure. Um, I appreciate you guys having me. It's been fun. Um, yeah, if you guys want to reach out or talk more about Spider-Man um, or anything with the MCU, really, uh, if you go to my author archive, uh, again, my name is Ryan Parker, so if you go into my author archive, I got links to my Twitter uh, that you can uh, you can reach out to me there, or you can just comment on any of the articles that uh, that I write, and we, uh, we usually keep good track of that, so we will be in touch. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Barnhart, and if uh, you follow me, maybe we can have some discussions on how ridiculous it is we don't have a uh, Darkhawk movie yet. I'm on K- uh, at Caleb A. Borchers. Uh, I got a new follower last week. I should look up who it is and, and publicly honor them for <laughs> uh, becoming my follower. It was, uh, it was very nice of you. To do so. If you don't know, the running joke is that I have no followers. Uh, yeah, what so is that, was... Caleb? Three now or what? I- I'm up to 38 now. Uh, nice. Somebody called at Beer Roamer. So it looks like someone who likes to hike and drink beer. All right, at Beer Roamer, I'll give you a hint. Uh, you should go to um, Long Trail Brewery. It's in Vermont. It's a beautiful spot. They've got a little river that runs right alongside. You can pick up a beer, sit in a uh, in a chair right by the water, and just kind of watch it go by. You're not supposed to take the glasses into the river, but everybody does. Uh, it's a really good spot. Good food. Beautiful scenery. You can hike and drink beer there. So if I am correctly interpreting your avatar on Twitter, that is my thank you for becoming my 38th follower. So 
All right, that is totally random. We are devolving into chaos here. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, like I said, this is going to come out on Monday, as you know, if you're listening to it. And we're probably going to be every Monday for a while. Um, we won't move to the Sunday recording necessarily, but we'll definitely release on Mondays. It's just going to be an easier schedule for us. So uh, thanks so much for listening to the show. We appreciate you guys. Until next week, we'll see you later. Bye.